Hey guys, Mike here for Hokey Hangover on behalf of the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Former Downtown Blacksburg Business of the Year in 2019, Jeremy Counts and his staff at Main Street Pharmacy have you covered for all of your pharmaceutical needs. Medication, school supplies, you name it. Jeremy and his staff, family-owned business, they got you covered over at Main Street Pharmacy in Downtown Blacksburg. They've been a sponsor of our podcast since the beginning, going on five years now, and there's a reason why. They're extremely extremely reliable. They're good people. They're friends of ours, friends of the podcast. Head on over to Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street, downtown Blacksburg. Open Monday to Friday, 9 to 6, Saturday from 9 to noon. They're closed on Sundays. You can be reached at 540-605-7721. That's Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street in downtown Blacksburg. Hokie Hangover is proud to be sponsored by Homefield, the premium collegiate apparel brand in the United States. Based in Indianapolis, Homefield is committed to creating comfortable and officially licensed apparel featuring vintage college designs. Homefield puts in extra reps for each of the more than 150 colleges they highlight, discovering unique logos, mascots, and iconic moments to create the best look at your tailgate. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order. Homefield makes online shopping so easy, even I can't screw it up. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order and acquire blue chip apparel from Homefield, an official sponsor of Hokie Hangover. Hey guys, Mike here on behalf of our podcast partner, Vivid Seats. That's right. Hokie Hangover Podcast is partnering with Vivid Seats this football season to provide you with all of your ticketing needs. Hanging to a game at Lane Stadium this fall, need tickets? Check out Vivid Seats. Going to another college football venue this fall? Use Vivid Seats. Checking out a concert venue even? Vivid Seats has you covered there as well. And they got a promo code just for you. That's right. Go to vividseats.com. Use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. We can't thank Vivid Seats enough for their partnership this football season. Make sure to check them out. Hokey hangover. Guys, it is time to preview the Virginia Tech men's basketball season. Hokies already have one game under their belt on the men's side and the women's side. Both teams started the season 1-0 and with victories on Monday night. Tech's women's team put together a really complete performance and blowing out high point in front of a very energetic Castle Coliseum atmosphere as they raised their Final Four banner in Castle. Pretty cool. Men's side, uh, later in the evening, Hokies kicked the absolute piss out of Coppin State. That was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, wanted to start here. Thanks to everybody for the feedback on the last episode, recapping Louisville. We had a lot of fun. Uh, it seems like our listeners really enjoyed it as well, even though I would say it was lighter on the uh, game content, so to speak. The entertainment value in listening back uh, just selfishly 
from my standpoint. Uh, it was funnier than I anticipated when we actually recorded the podcast. So you can only go so in depth when you lose by 31. That was my that was my thought as well. So I'm I'm glad that's kind of how the podcast turned out because we were all very frustrated with the loss, but we ended up taking it kind of in an entirely different direction that I think ended up being much more entertaining than we inspe- expected before we hit record. So uh good stuff there. Guys, uh we're gonna start by talking about the men's team. Uh last year was a disappointing year for Mike Young's squad. Definitely injuries to Couture, injuries to Rodney Rice, uh the inconsistency to put it lightly defensively, team didn't defend very well. Sean Padula was in a spot where he had to basically play Devin Wilson type point guard minutes under James Johnson, where he was just like never taken off the floor. All of it led to a 19 and 15 overall record and eight and 12 record in ACC play. Hokies bowed out in the first round of the ACC tournament and they did not make it to the NCAA tournament. Hokies finished two and 10 on the road last year. It's not very good. Uh, they were 13 and four at home. That was a little bit better. Uh, rough year, rough year. Yeah, they. This has kind of been a hallmark of Virginia Tech really for the last few seasons. They just haven't quite had the depth on the roster to handle a couple key injuries. Now, you can probably make that argument about most of the country. But if you lose, you know, your one or two best players, chances are you're going to be struggling. And we saw that from Virginia Tech assuredly when Couture went out. So uh, the the hope this year has to be that you've solved some of that. And we'll kind of dive into what Virginia Tech's depth may or may not look like for the remainder of the year because there are some intriguing intriguing options, especially guys that are, are very, very young. Yeah, I mean, as we look to this season, I think for me, and really for at least for who I've talked to, a larger amount of the Virginia Tech community as a whole. Now, that includes fans. Realistically, that should also include the athletic department, right? As we look to this season, it's what can we expect? from the Mike Young era. Because it's been, it it hasn't necessarily been like totally up and down, right? But this is a Virginia Tech basketball program that over the course of nearly 30 years, from, um, I guess, 1987 to 2016, made the tournament twice. And then from 2017 to 2022, you make it five out of six years. And if you want to call it on a technicality, right? It was five out of five years. There was no tournament held in 2020, though. Virginia Tech would not <laughs> have made it. But that's a lot of sustained success for a program that, as we talked about two seconds ago, hadn't really felt too much of it. Virginia Tech's expectations at that point were not make the tournament every year. If they were, they failed. But for a period of time there, it was every single year. And that's ridden into the Mike Young era. Though those two tournament appearances are 
a shortened COVID year where there were a lot of problems with your opponents. Just a weird season, right? And then a 2022 year where we have to be intellectually honest with ourselves and say that his biggest accomplishment also avoided, and that can go down to the Darius Maddox miracle buzzer beater, all the way to who knows what have happened, who would have would have who knows what would have happened had they not actually beaten Duke in the ACC championship game. ACC tournament runner-up may not have been good enough for the NCAA tournament. Right? So what happened happened. The season was weird. COVID year. They made it though. They got there. They lost a close one to Florida in the NCAA tournament. An ACC tournament championship speaks for itself. But the facts are the facts. Odd situations near avoiding the alternative. Then you go into last year, injuries happen. As Ricky mentioned before, depth being an issue, it seems each and every year. Mid-January, there's been a disaster losing streak. And this one they weren't able to recover from in 2022. So as we look to 2023, it's like, who is this program, right? Is Virginia Tech under Mike Young maybe what you hope to be a better version of Virginia Tech under Seth Greenberg, where the team is always competitive in the ACC, but the NCAA tournament is going to be here and there. And we'll, and we'll give Seth credit because if there was a 68 team bracket when he was coach, all else remains the same. And he probably has another one or two NCAA tournament appearances under his belt, but the, the general finish point remains the same, right? Middle of the pack. Is that what we should expect? Or is this a team that can continue the success that it had under Buzz Williams into the Mike Young era? And last year was just a blip on the radar. Like, that's what I'm looking to find out. Because I'm not saying we should fire Mike Young. Some people might say that. I don't. Like I mentioned, two NCAA tournament appearances, nearly 30 years. Virginia Tech needs to know who it is as a basketball program. But I guess this is the year that we figure out who we are as a basketball program right now under the current regime. And that there's a lot of intrigue there for me. Yeah. I, I think the point you made about, like, people need to understand what Virginia Tech is as a basketball program, I think is really important because I, you know, Virginia Tech is in a much better spot, obviously now than it was in like the post Seth Greenberg days, right. Where it was a couple years of James Johnson program kind of went to hell in a handbasket, considerable step down from Seth Greenberg. Uh, Jim Weaver fired Greenberg at a really inopportune time in the spring after like a bunch of head coaches had already been hired and a bunch of schools had already made their hiring decisions. It was a late firing of Seth Greenberg uh, going into 2012. Hokies were kind of left holding the bag, right? They're trying to figure out who to hire. So they bring back James Johnson. You guys will remember James Johnson was an assistant on Greenberg's staff left for the Clemson assistant head. Uh, he was an assistant coach at Clemson, right? For a month, kind of pulled like a Manny Diaz on the football side, right? <laughs> when Diaz left for Temple and only to come back and, and be the head coach of Miami for a few years. That's pretty much what happened to James Johnson. He he left 
Greenberg to go to Clemson, be an assistant on that staff, and then turned around and came back and was all of a sudden the head coach, right? Hadn't even really begun a couple months. Didn't work out. Tech was in a really bad spot. Buzz turned it around quick, right? It was 10 years later, James Johnson was with the football program. And now James Johnson's back with Virginia Tech with the football program working under Brent Pry. So things work out in weird ways. But now we're in a spot where the program's in a totally different set of circumstances, right? Buzz Williams takes Virginia Tech basically to, I would say, near the ceiling of what it can be as a men's basketball program in the ACC, right? Virginia Tech is not a blue blood, but Virginia Tech is playing in a conference filled with them, right? I mean, to 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 that point, what Buzz Williams showed is, historically speaking, like that's what we know the ceiling to be. It's the highest right. it's ever been. It took the program to new heights. It was the high. It's the highest it's ever been. And now, Mike Young comes in, and when Buzz left, right, this was never a destination job for Buzz, right? I think that's really important setting expectations for Mike Young. It was never a destination job for Buzz. Buzz came in, took you know, left Marquette, wasn't happy with the athletic director, leaves Marquette, comes to Blacksburg. It's a reclamation project. Then he left for his destination job at AM. That's where he wanted to go. That that's where he wants to be long, you know, as long as Buzz Williams wants to wants to be somewhere, right? I, I think AM is is the spot. If he doesn't stay there for a decade or 15 years, then he's never gonna stay anywhere longer in six, seven years, right? Um, he left for his destination job. This is a destination job for Mike Young, but I can't say it's a destination job for a lot of coaches. This is a better job than it was a decade ago, right? In in regard to Virginia Tech's place in college basketball and in the ACC. But if Mike Young were to be let go just because Tech missed an NCAA tournament, you know, two out of three seasons or something like that, for him to be let go, I'm not sure, you know, the people who are arguing that that Young should be fired and all this stuff, like, I'm not sure what you're anticipating or what you're expecting. Because I think what Virginia Tech would do, right, in that scenario is they would hire a young, up-and-coming assistant or a guy that was maybe a head coach at a mid-major, and they would see if he would work out in Blacksburg, and maybe he would, and he'd have a long career. But this isn't a job that's going to attract, like, huge name coaches it's just not it's a job in the acc but it's not the easiest job in the acc even if it's a better job than it was 10 years ago so long and short of it is i don't think mike young's in any danger of being fired i do think this is a this is an important year in terms of program direction andrew to your point but i don't think this is like a job security is in a lot of trouble situation if virginia tech plays its way onto the bubble again and and is a team that could you know, make a run at an NCAA tournament appearance. I think that's that's a a good thing to aspire to. You got veterans on the roster. You got some transfers. We got a lot of young guys too, and we'll get into that as well. It seems like to me that the standard or the expectation should be that Virginia Tech is a bubble team at worst every Agree. year. Yeah, agree with that. You're not going to make the tournament every year. However, I think it is fair to say that you should make the tournament more than you miss it. I think that that is a reasonable standard for fans and the athletic program to hold Mike Young to. Um, 
Obviously, you'd like to have some more postseason success, specifically in the NCAA tournament. That would be nice to not get knocked out in the first round. Um, but winning the ACC championship, going to a turn, going to the NCAA's his first two seasons, um, Mike Young showed that he, his system is perfectly capable of winning enough games in the ACC, uh, which, in my opinion, is still down as a conference. Um, and it really hasn't gotten back to the level it was at four or five years ago. Um, Mike Young's able to win enough games to get his team at least to the bubble. So if at any point this year or next year we're talking about a team that's in the bottom third of the ACC and has no realistic chance of making the NCAA tournament, then we can start talking about whether or not the direction of the program is is off. Then but, we have the discussion. But if if Virginia Tech goes out there and wins 17 or 18 games and is on the bubble and is just just misses it, I think that might be a bit of a disappointment this year given you've got two veteran leaders at at, at guard uh I feel like this year maybe the expectation needs to be a tad higher, but if we're if we're going on the aggregate and the average, just being in the conversation every year I think is is critical. Um, and, and like I said, I think you've got to make the tournament more than you miss it. So Mike Young has um, made the made the first two. Obviously, we'll skip the COVID year, missed last year, so. Yeah, I think this is kind of an important year for Mike Young to establish that, hey, we are a tournament team. We may have a down year here and there, but this is a tournament style program. and We're going to play relevant basketball all the way through March. So that has to be kind of the expectation. I mean, I think what Mike Young was hired to do at Virginia Tech was take his system, which had been proven over time at a mid-major level, to be a system that works in NCAA college basketball, take it to an ACC program like Virginia Tech where you're going to get talent. You might not get the talent of a Duke or a North Carolina or a fill-in-the-blank. There's a number of other teams in the conference that qualify and use that system to get the most out of the talent that the program's prestige can afford and create exactly what Ricky was talking about there. A basketball team that makes the tournament more than they miss it. And and to Buzz Williams' credit, right, Buzz is the one that elevated the prestige of this program to a point where Mike Young can go out and recruit four stars yep. on a consistent basis to Virginia Tech. Now, whether or not those four stars are panning out is a separate discussion. But Mike Young's ability to at least bring in some higher-level talent, uh, yeah, Mike Young deserves credit as a recruiter, but also Mike Young is bringing the stability to what Buzz built. Because Buzz was never never a bastion of stability at Virginia Tech. He was looking to leave after year one. Every single offseason, off he was entertaining job offers. That's pretty well known from folks that covered the program or around the program during that time but buzz successfully elevated that prestige of the program to get virginia tech to a point where now the standard is to make the ncaa tournament 
The standard is to be in the conversation every single February and March. Um, and Mike Young, thankfully, has a proven system that's worked at the lower levels and in the early sample size has worked at the ACC level to show that he can work with that level of prestige and put a pretty competitive team on the floor. And Witt was well, Witt was well aware going into that NCAA tournament appearance a handful of years ago when Virginia Tech made that Sweet 16 run in Buzz's last season. He was well aware that Buzz Williams was leaving for Texas A&M going into the NCAA tournament. He knew it. Like, as soon as Tech was eliminated, he bolted, right? Uh, the, the report leaked from David Teal, I think, was the first to report it when he said, yep, uh, Buzz is meeting with Witt this morning. The two have had open lines of communication, was the tweet. It's like, yep, they have, because Witt is well aware that Buzz is leaving for A&M. This is all formality, right? And then, lo and behold, he's gone. The, the point that you made, Ricky, about, like, it's almost like, this analogy kind of sucks because I think Buzz Buzz obviously took the program to un, you know pretty much unprecedented heights uh, in terms of kind of what they could be from a recruiting standpoint and the ceiling of that team. I'm not even sure that Sweet 16 team wasn't even reached. I mean, they were tipping away from going to the Elite Eight. Yep, uh, that team I think could have absolutely made a Final Four. I, I think you know Buzz took the program to uh, the precipice of like unprecedented heights. He was a mercenary, right? And so, <laughs> That's exactly so what saying, it was. So saying that this statement is probably unfair to Buzz Williams, but saying Buzz Williams could walk so Mike Young could run, I think is a little unfair. <laughs> but I mean it in terms of like the program he took over, the ability for Mike Young to come in and recruit right away. Like that that's kind of stuff could not have been done right after the James Johnson era, right? Buzz, Seth Greenberg was Buzz playing. ran so Mike Young could also run. Right. Yeah, that's that's more accurate. And and Greenberg was recruiting at a high level, brought in Dorian Finney-Smith. He's now an NBA rotational player. He's still, to this day, one of the highest recruits in Virginia Tech history. Brought him to Blacksburg. Didn't Seth. he have a, a, a signee that that left uh, as soon as he got canned? I can't remember. Wasn't there like an NBA guy that was that was signed? Oh, Montrez Harrell. Yeah. Montrez Harrell. Thank yeah. You. And Dorian Finney-Smith. Yeah, Dorian Finney-Smith at least played a year, and then he dipped, yeah. But he dipped to uh, yeah, Florida. Two NBA players right there. Montrez Harold being a was he national player of the year? Or Coming was out he... of high school, he was at least. Oh no, I, mean, I was thinking in his senior year at Louisville, right? Wasn't oh, he? he was. I mean, he was at least really, really good. Yeah, he was an All American for sure. Yeah, uh, but so that's yeah. kind of where yeah. the program's at. Really important, really important year here, right? This is a big year coming up. Virginia Tech, for what it's worth, I mean, we're going to talk about the roster here. But and this can kind of play into the discussion. Virginia Tech's already had its opener, as I said off the top. Hokies beat Coppin State one hundred to fifty-five. Well, I hope Monday that Coppin State game wasn't enough reason that people don't need to listen to the basketball preview anymore. Right, I, they've yeah. seen what they need to see. That's what we figured when we were planning this podcast out. Uh, we were like, we could still probably go ahead and do this. Uh, but I, I want to talk about the roster a little bit. So, off of last year's team, right? Grant Basile came in was productive offensively in a, in a year. Uh, he leaves. He's now playing over in Europe. Uh, Justin Mutz finally graduates. Uh, very productive in his time. Certainly one of Mike Young's success stories at Virginia Tech. Uh, obviously, we we covered the Rodney Rice departure in depth um, on an earlier podcast, but he has 
he's like red shirting, but he's actually going to transfer. He's leaving the program. Once the transfer window opens uh, in January, he'll be leaving Virginia Tech. Uh, so, so he's gone. And then Darius Maddox departed. Uh, you know, he had an illness in the family last year, missed some time, ultimately transfers to be a little bit closer to home. He's now at George Mason. So those are the departures, but coming in, uh, you have Robbie Barron. He's a transfer, uh, a forward who played quite a bit last night, but it, he was in some foul trouble. Uh, but he's a starting caliber player. He was in the starting lineup last night. He transferred in. Makai Long transferring in from Old Dominion. It's another ad. Tyler Nickel, who Virginia Tech was in on a couple of years ago. Uh, he was a pretty highly touted recruit, along with Rodney Rice. They're hoping to bring in both Rice and Tyler Nickel in that recruiting class. Nickel plays a year at North Carolina, was used sparingly, and then transfers to Virginia Tech. Uh, he, there is nobody in the history of Virginia high school basketball that has more field goals than Tyler Nickel. Uh, that guy can get buckets. He is the all-time leading scorer in Virginia high school basketball history. Pretty impressive. And then as far as the recruits go, uh, Virginia Tech has Brandon Rexdiner, a four-star, uh, played a bit last night, and Jaden Young as well, another uh, solid prospect at guard uh, who Tech will be relying upon this year as well, along with the returners. We know about Padula and Couture. Couture sticking around for his fifth year. That's huge for Virginia Tech. MJ Collins, after a really strong freshman year, especially on the defensive end, is back as a sophomore in the starting lineup. Lynn Kidd, another year in the program, right? I think this is his third year at Virginia Tech. Uh, after redshirting his uh, freshman year at Clemson, he's back in the fold. Figures to have a pretty big role. Melijal Petit. Uh, and John Camden as well, and then Patrick Wessler, who did not play uh, last night. Uh, there are some reasons behind that. I'm not going to disclose on this podcast. We can talk about that afterwards. I meant to text you guys about that today. Anyway, uh, Wessler is expected to have a role on the team in some form or fashion as well. So, guys, that's the roster. Uh, just at a high level, given what they've lost last year, what's coming in. What are your expectations on paper, I guess, coming into the year? And then, you know, feel free to work in any thoughts you have about the Coffin State game last night in particular and how some of these guys were used. I mean, I don't want to get too deep into the Coppin State game because, I mean, let's be honest, like any player that's going to see minutes for Virginia Tech this year should at least, I, I, in fact, I'll say, a definitively would be like the best player at Coppin State, maybe the second best player, anyone who's going to see any time, right? Different level of basketball. For the team as a whole, you, you talked a lot there about what seems to be a lack of continuity insofar as outside of Sean Padula and Hunter Couture. From last year's team that missed expectations, we are looking to fill in a lot of blanks with either freshmen, transfers, or guys who played a limited role previously expected to take on more. So for me, any semblance of success this year, and that could be a 
last team into the NCAA tournament and bounced level of success. A, you know, if you make it, that's good in my book because it will mean that Mike Young not only showed that his system works interchangeably, that you don't need people to stick around for three, four years in the program in order to figure it out and maximize it. Because in this day and age of college basketball, that's going to be tough with the transfer portal. It's going to be tough in an era where everyone just thinks they got a shot at the NBA and needs to be the star of the show. And, you know, we've seen guys like Landers Nolly try many times to fill that role going from school to school to school. You know, it's not a situation where the circumstances dictate that people are going to want to wait it out, if you will. So inserting new people and it's still working, positive. It would also speak to Mike Young's ability to develop if we see, because I think, and tell me if you guys agree with me or not, for Virginia Tech to make the tournament, sizable step forward for Sean Padula. I, I think he's the best player on this team, and I think he's going to have to be a better player than we saw last year and in or out of his control, a more you know, long-term durable player than last year. And that relies a lot on Rechtensteiner and whoever else they can find to spell him. But if he can go from good to great, it speaks to the coaching staff's ability to develop, and it certainly uh, is something that Virginia Tech essentially has to rely on. Mike Young has had tremendous success in the transfer portal and that has really kind of covered up some of his misses uh, in the development side of things when it comes to those higher end prospects that we talked about on the uh, Rodney Rice podcast. Um, He's going to have to rely on Robbie Barron pretty heavily this year. I think if Virginia Tech is going to take a step towards the NCAA tournament, I think Robbie Barron needs to be more than just a contributor. I think he needs to be a reliable difference maker. He doesn't have to be the best player on the team. He doesn't need to lead the team in scoring, but he is going to need need to be a reliable difference maker in the front court. I really like the top end of this roster in the backcourt. Uh, Padula, Couture, and MJ Collins are very exciting trio. Padula is a, a very good ball handler. Couture is a tr- tremendous defender. Collins is also a very versatile defender. We talked about this after Rodney Rice left. I do have questions about the backup point guard spot. Brandon Recksteiner is going to have to take over that role as a true freshman. Virginia Tech does not really have any depth behind Brandon Recksteiner at point guard. Depending, so depending on how this goes, we may see an offense that, again, would have to rely on Hunter Couture to play significant minutes at the point. And you guys have followed this program program long enough to know that is not Couture's strong suit. He struggles when he has to be the primary ball handler. If Virginia Tech can stay healthy in the backcourt, I think they're pretty set. Rex Steiner was... Uh, Certainly the moment was not too big for him last night in the Coppin State game. We'll have to wait and see if he can sustain that through non-conference play. But between Padula, MJ Collins, Hunter Couture, 
Um, very, very intrigued by Tyler Nickel. I think Virginia Tech's backcourt seems pretty, pretty solid. So for me, those are the two things I'm watching the most. Are they going to stay healthy in the backcourt? Uh, and how, how does Brandon Rexiner take on those minutes? And also, can Robbie Barron lock himself into the starting lineup and be uh, a huge difference maker in the front court? Yeah, I, in regard to the Coppin State game, uh, I thought it was interesting because the one thing that you can take away from these non-conference games where I call them walkover games because when you play a team like Coppin State and you're favored by like 30, I think they close as like a 30-point favorite. What you can take away from games like this is, number one, especially in the early going, what do the rotations look like? Because while you might see some players for extended minutes, right, that you may not see in extended minutes, say in like conference play against tougher competition, the timing of the rotations is something that the coaches are trying to get right in in the non-con against teams that you have a pretty good chance of beating. So that's the kind of stuff I try to pay attention to is like, who's the first guy off the bench? You know, in particular, last night for me, it was, okay, when Padula comes out of the game, who's going to come in first, right? Is it going to be Rex Steiner, right, to replace him? Or which is what I thought coming in, especially against Coppin State, I was thinking Padula, when he goes to the bench, Rex Steiner is just going to come in and replace him. That's actually not what Virginia Tech did, right? So what what the Hokies did uh, last night is, you know, Padula was out there with Gator, Collins, Lynn Kidd, and Robbie Barron. That was the starting five. And Barron got into some early foul trouble. They started rotating some guys in. Elijah Petit was, was one of the first guys in off the bench. Um, Tyler Nickel was one of the first guys off the bench. They brought those guys in, and they took Hunter Couture off the floor about five minutes into the game. And so then I was like, wait a minute. I bet that they're going to bring Couture in for Padula around the 12 minute mark lo and behold right Couture getting ready to come back in the game after maybe a minute or two minute or two break comes back in the game replaces Sean Padula right and then we saw rotations later in the game that included Padula alongside Rex Steiner which I thought was interesting so there the Hokies went small they had Rex Steiner they had Padula they had Hunter Couture out there which I thought was a really intriguing uh backcourt wing combination so I I think the long and short of it is Ricky is absolutely right. Rex Steiner now, especially with Rodney Rice gone, and now I think with how Virginia Tech is playing some of these guys last night from what we saw in, in the early rotations, I can kind of see why Rodney Rice, if he wanted to play 30 minutes a game, why he probably transferred, because I don't think he was going to play 30 minutes a game here, uh, at least not this year. Not with Padula, not with Couture. I think it's pretty clear Mike Young wants Padula to be operating the offense. But Ricky's right. I think Rex Steiner is a guy to watch because obviously highly touted recruit. Um, he played 11 minutes last night, shot the lights out, hit a couple of really deep threes. If he can provide that in a pinch off the bench for the Hokies this year, that's going to be gigantic. Um, if you can limit the time that Hunter Couture has to be the primary ball handler, I think that's gigantic. Now, Couture is capable in that role in a pinch, but I think we all agree like Couture is not a point guard. He's a shooting guard. He's much better suited off the ball. He can play point guard if he has to. Mike Young has always talked about Couture as like his half point guard. And we saw that last night. He was his half point guard. Now, does Virginia Tech proceed against better competition, starting with South Carolina this Friday? Do they proceed with, okay, it's going to be one and a half point guards, right? We're going to 
that's going to be the rotation. We're going to have Padula and Couture on the floor. We're going to bring Couture off early for a couple minutes, then bring him in, right, for Padula. So Padula can get a couple minutes on, you know, on the bench and then have Padula and Couture finish halves. That might be sustainable for a while. But I think what you find is that when you get into the middle of a season against tougher competition and you're only playing a guy and a half at point guard, you're going to get worn down, especially with the amount of minutes that Padula and Couture have to play. Um, they are your two best players, uh, your two most reliable guys. They were the only two guys that played more than 22 minutes last night. Uh, Lynn Kidd, MJ Collins, Mikai Long all played 22 minutes. Padula and Couture led the team with 26 minutes each. So we all we already know they're going to be on the floor a bunch, and they should. They're really good players. They need to be on the floor a lot. But it's out of is it out of necessity, right? Or can you bring guys along as the season progresses? Can a Jaden Young, who, you know, again, another young guard. Rex Steiner is the big four-star. Jaden Young was a good prospect, too. And he gave the Hokies good minutes last night as well. Can he help in a pinch, right? Whether it's point guard or shooting guard. Um, Tyler Nickel on the wing. Pretty good ball handler. Can he emerge in that Hunter Couture type role where he's another half of the guard, right? To, to you know, be the guy on the ball in a pinch. That's the stuff I'm going to be watching here as Hokies continue to progress through the non-con. That's a long and short way of saying, Rick, you're right. I'm concerned about point guard and the rotations there. It's going to be interesting to see how that progresses, but I was pleased with what I saw out of the young guys, albeit against Coppin State. South Carolina will be interesting, right? And, And even South Carolina going into Campbell and Wofford, I mean, this is a Gamecock team that they won four games in the SEC last year. So marginal improvement, certainly a better opponent than you saw in Coppin State. What should be a winnable game for the Hokies, but what's that going, really looking to play a game that you feel like you might have a chance of losing if things go wrong? Right. I, I don't think there was any fear of Coppin State. I don't think South Carolina's an auto win. And we'll see the rotations that at least in this moment resemble what they think they should throw out there going into the games that matter, ACC play and the harder part of the non-con. But you get into that ESPN events classic, which is a tournament that you lose, you continue to play. So Virginia Tech will get three games out of it. And it starts out with Boise State, a solid mid-major program that has been on the precipice of the NCAA tournament. They're receiving votes in these preseason polls. And a tournament that also includes, I mean, if Virginia Tech can win a game or two, number 15, Texas A&M, buzz. How great would that be? And then Florida Atlantic, number 10 in the country, coming out the final four. And then you go out to play, no matter what happens in any of this, an Auburn team under Bruce Pearl that's always been respectable and once again receiving votes going into the year. Like, we're going to find out quick, and these aren't easy games, and if Virginia Tech doesn't have it right early, they're going to be sacrificing an opportunity to get the kind of wins that I think we all know as fans of a team that 
for better or worse, under Mike Young, uh, under Buzz, with the exception of the 2019 year where they were just really good. At least going into mid-February, you feel like you're kind of living on a bubble, and you know how important those early season wins can be to have something to point to when you have a ACC record nearing 500. It's like all these games count the same. Yes, the committee accounts for momentum to a degree, but I mean, you could tell that to Buzz Williams, who a couple of years ago, I think it was the year that Virginia Tech made the NCAA tournament because of the ACC championship that A&M had picked up steam and boom, doesn't matter. Your overall resume is what matters. Or maybe I have it the other way around. Who knows? Who cares? Either way, having those non-conference wins to point to are very important. And for a team that you hope had good preseason practices because with the changes, they're going to have to figure some stuff out on the fly. You know, you hope they get it right quick. I look at the schedule, guys, and Andrew, you touched on this a little bit, how important the non-con is. I think my my biggest takeaway here is that, and this is my takeaway with most non-conference schedules, but especially when you see a couple of, you know, teams that have a history of being on the bubble or being in the mix. Talk about Boise. You talked about Auburn, how good Auburn was a few years ago. Um, you talk about the potential of the of the teams you could play in Orlando uh, outside of Boise, right? There are some teams on the schedule where, you know, if the Hokies snag a couple of early season wins, even if you drop a game or two, if you snag some of, some of these couple, you know, a couple of early season wins, you put yourself in better position to drop a game or two in conference play when stuff gets tough, right? Those 50-50 games in ACC play that you're inevitably going to lose if you're not like Carolina or Duke or Virginia in, in most years, maybe not this year. But how like even those teams kind of, you know, they have a sleepy one on the road at Clemson or, you know, they, they lose a tough game at Wake Forest, right? Wake Forest was obviously very good last year. The non-con matters, but more than anything, like we talk about the tournament and aspirations like later in the year, February, March timeframe, more than anything, it just gives you breathing room in January, you know, late December, early January. It gives you some breathing room to drop a game or two in ACC play because it inevitably is going to happen, right? There's going to be a game on paper where Virginia Tech's favored, but maybe they're going on the road. Maybe you're going on the road at Pitt and you're like a five or six point favorite. And you go to pit on like a Wednesday at seven o'clock and you lose that game. You know, that stuff happens in ACC play. That stuff happens over the course of a college basketball season. And what you're doing in non-conference play is you're trying to bank a couple of early season quality wins against 50-50 type competition that may be in the mix later in the year, may not be. But you can point to later and be like, you know what, that's a quality win on the resume. When you're fighting for your for your life, right, on the bubble, going into the conference tournament. You're like, okay, maybe we don't have to make it to the weekend at the ACC tournament. You know, maybe we only need to win a game or two or hell. Maybe it doesn't really matter what we do with the ACC tournament because we bank so many of these early season wins. Maybe we're not really on the bubble at all. Maybe we're solidly in the field. So there, there are a lot of games like that on this non-conference schedule. And I'm just interested to see how, how tech performs against some tougher competition. Cause I do have a feeling this team 
it's going to be deeper than the team we saw last year, especially in the backcourt feels that way. But again, it was cop and state, right? So like, do I expect Jaden Young to be playing 14 minutes a night for Virginia Tech in conference play? Not initially, <laughs> you know, do I expect Rex Steiner to be playing, you know, 12, 13 minutes a night in conference play? Not initially, right? But, you know, if some of those guys can can come on for Tech and the Hokies are able to build that depth in the non-conference schedule, get to ACC play, and Mike Young feels like he can go eight, nine, ten guys deep, that's something he definitely wants to do, and he's talked about doing before. I could see Rex Steiner carving out a rotation by the time conference play starts, depending on how he does against some of these uh, non-conference opponents. The the things I noticed about this schedule outside of the non-con is you're getting Duke and Carolina just once this year, uh, which has its benefits. Virginia Tech has also given Duke hell inside Castle Coliseum, and they've got it once again inside Castle. Uh, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, the students should be back by the 29th. Yeah, right? not, on, yeah. not on Christmas break. Yeah, it's post MLK. They'll be back. Yeah, so you're so you're gonna get you're gonna get a, a packed out Castle Coliseum for that game. Um, so we'll have to see what kind of team Duke is, but only having to play Duke and Carolina once helps you out big time. The rest of the ACC is a bit of a crapshoot anyway. There's a lot of questions really about everyone else. Um, they do get Miami twice, so you do have to make that trip to Coral Gables, but um, all in all, it feels like the ACC schedule doesn't provide a ton of challenges, at least on paper. And if Virginia Tech is able to play at the level we think that it, they think that they can, they're going to have a chance to win any of these games, essentially. And um, we know North Carolina's had issues. They were in hell last night. I don't mean to like go into a full ACC preview, but like they were in a hell game with Radford last night for a while. And Duke can be up and down. Um, I'm not really sure what to think of Virginia this year. So definitely going to have plenty of chances to win games in January, February, March. Yep. Auburn's about to lose to Baylor, by the way. So talk about a non-con game, right? That was a game that Auburn wanted to have. Baylor, top 25 team entering the year. Looks like Auburn's going to fall in their first game of the year. So just wanted to mention that. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the importance of having those wins in your back pocket, right? And I mean, as many as you can get are helpful because we look at Virginia Tech the last two seasons and i mean last year we all remember they beat carolina who i believe was a ranked team at the time early in the non-con early in the non-con go 1-0 in acc play and then proceed to lose the next seven and of those seven losses i believe one of the teams one game individually was to a team that made the ncaa tournament and that was virginia who then proceeded to get bounced by Furman. So we know, like, that is a grind. And the ACC is the ACC, and Virginia Tech doesn't have the roster right now. If they do, it would astound me. Where you feel like they're going to be running roughshod of these teams and that even the middle of the conference won't pose a threat. No, there is a... Most of this conference has a decent floor 
where you got to be worried, especially when you're going on the road and especially when you're going on the road for two times in a week for these college guys and the team doesn't have a ton of depth. Select yeah. the wins where you can. And in the process of doing so, stay healthy and figure out the rotation that is going to best maximize the roster in the long term. And it's a bunch of challenges, which is why I think that if this team does manage to get anywhere, if they make the NCAA tournament especially, it's going to be a feather in Mike Young's cap. Agree. I I just want to add something because I I think you brought up a good point with, you know, a lot of these ACC teams have a pretty high floor. I agree with that statement 100%. But let's play this out a little bit. What if a bunch of these ACC teams just don't really reach their ceiling? Like, I think last year, by and large, was kind of a down year for the ACC, right? Uh, Highlighted, of course, by Carolina coming off of a national championship game appearance, just bottoming out so bad they missed the tournament Caleb Love transfers like like really bottomed out what if the rest of the ACC like looking at these teams on paper you know what if these teams don't really reach our ceiling then all of a sudden you might need some wins in the non-con because maybe you're stretching to find some quality wins in ACC play that was kind of an issue last year down the stretch right Virginia Tech uh you know, they, they were kind of making a run in the middle of the ACC schedule where they won a handful of games in a row after that seven game losing streak. We were like, all right, they need there's a stretch they need to go on here where they got to win like three out of four, four out of five, you name it, because they dug themselves obviously into a pretty deep hole. But then you were kind of looking at the path at that point that this is in the month of January, right? A lot of basketball left to be played, but you're looking at the path to the tournament. And it's not really that clear, right? Not because not only because Virginia Tech started out the way that they did in conference play, but because there weren't a lot of like quality wins that could get you into the tournament down the stretch. So you talk about playing Duke and Carolina once in a lot of ways, that is a blessing in disguise, right? Because if you, you know, get on the floor with those teams 10 times each, you're probably losing at least eight of them, right? Or, or you know, may, maybe that's too harsh. Maybe you're losing like six or seven of them. But either way, they're going to be favored more often than not against Virginia Tech. So maybe it's a blessing in disguise. But at the same time, like maybe you need to play those teams a couple times and, and try to split. But since you don't have that opportunity, I think the non-conference schedule is all that more imperative. I think splitting against a Virginia team that we don't really know what to make of, I think that's really important this year. I think splitting against a Miami team that on paper looks like uh, a team that could certainly win the ACC. You know, you play them twice, right? Trying to split uh, those two games, I think it's going to be really important. Trying to pick up a quality win there. You start kind of looking at some of these non-conference games and you start looking at, okay, can we split against some of these better teams in the ACC? And that's how you kind of find yourself on the bubble at season's end, which I think is is the goal that, you know, I, I think Virginia Tech fans would aspire to considering what the Hokies lost and the question marks and who Tech's bringing in and, I mean, there are certainly some questions on this roster for sure, but I'm interested to see how this plays out. I mean, to your point, Mike, it's not like this conference projects to being incredibly better, at least in terms of what general opinion is right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, know, you think you think back to 2019 when Virginia Tech was, you know, a top five team in the ACC teetering between four and five all season. And 
those were all five teams that realistically could have made a run to the final four. No one would have been surprised if they did. Ultimately, you had the national champion in there. You had, was Duke the number one overall seed going into the tournament? I don't remember. Either way, there was Zion, talked about Zion, team at the yeah. time with RJ Zion and Reddish. Yeah. Like that was a super top-heavy conference with programs like Syracuse and Louisville behind them who weren't even that bad at the time. Like the conference has gone downhill. You have three teams in the top 25 currently like ESPN bracketology puts five ACC teams in the tournament. Like it's a bad combination of you look at the schedule and see Virginia tech and can anticipate weaknesses. And obviously past performance, especially in the month of January makes you nervous no matter what but it seems like a bunch of trip wires without a bunch of huge glaring quality wins if you get them. So then you see the harder games in your schedule. It's like we need to at least get a handful of these, but you only play Duke once. You only play Carolina once. So yeah. yeah. Just, you know, to, I, just a quick note. And I, I, I didn't know that it went back this far. Virginia tech has won five of their last six against Duke inside castle Coliseum. And like Ricky mentioned, five of their last six, they get Duke on the 29th of December, uh, January at home. That's the one time they play Duke this year at home. I'm not it, saying they're going to win, but I'm not saying they're not going to win. Mm-hmm. It's a fun <laughs> thing we like to say on this podcast. I'm not not saying it, uh, yeah. <laughs> but Duke's a top five team coming into the year. Really high expectations in the second year with Shire. So it's like we're out here saying like. Last team in NCAA tournament appearance would be a great success. But number two, Duke, I mean, come on. That that should be a W. We easy own money. them. <laughs> we own them in Castle. Easy money. Yeah, easy money. Uh, all right, guys. What Where do you see, and I'm not asking for, like, specific record predictions, but in general, uh, where do you see Virginia Tech stacking up in the ACC, middle of the pack, back of the pack? Do you see them as a top team in the conference? Do you see them, as, you know? Where do you see them? Do you think this team can make a tournament? Do you think they will make a tournament? I think they're right in the middle of the pack, and it's going to be uh, February and March where we're you know biting our fingernails and wondering how it's going to go. I, they're probably going to need some big wins down the stretch. I could see them needing at least one or two wins in the ACC tournament minimum. Uh I just worry about the depth of this team. I, I know they played 17 players against Coppin State, but nobody cares, right? It's Coppin State. If they can establish that they have that depth before we get to conference play, I will feel a lot better about this roster because I do believe that the starting five is you can compete with anybody in the conference. I mean, they're not as talented as Duke, probably. Uh, they're probably not as talented as Carolina, Miami, Meh, I don't know. Miami's pretty good. But Virginia Tech's starting five seems pretty damn good on paper. It's a long season. We've seen the injury issues in the past. I want to make sure that they've got some guys that can fill those spots when needed. And I don't want Sean Padula to have to play 38 minutes a night. That's not sustainable. It's not going to work. It's going to make him a worse player. Um, so 
I really like the starting five. I, I have some questions about the bench. I think those questions may or may not be answered by the time the non-conference schedule is over. And if we get some good returns on that on that part of the roster, I think you're looking at a team that's definitely a, a tournament team and maybe looking at something like a 9 or a 10 seed. Otherwise, you're probably looking at a team that's trying to squeak in on one of the, you know, the um, the playing games or something along those lines. I agree with almost everything Ricky said there, pretty much everything Ricky just said there. And the reality is that kind of the destination that Ricky described this team getting to, which is either barely in or hanging right there on the outside looking in, is going to come down to a number of plays and a number of basketball games. Right? Like, what's the difference between the three seed in the NIT and the final guy into the NCAA tournament? It's a few games here or there. And if you remember back to Virginia Tech last season, which obviously they weren't by the way end of the season in the conversation for the NCAA tournament, but when that losing skid started, all we harped on was Virginia Tech's the unluckiest team in the country. They've lost all these games by one possession. And that's so statistically an anomaly or whatever. But at the end of the day, when people judge your record in history and when the NCAA tournament committee judges your record in the moment, like when is a win and a loss is a loss and you're judged by the final two numbers on the piece of paper. And it is those small things that Ricky mentioned primarily depth and health and longevity of the roster, being able to figure out how to make adjustments and rotations or establish your rotations, I should say, in the lineup that best suits you on the fly in an era of college basketball where continuity is going to be the exception to the rule is what makes those small differences over the course of the season. And that is the job that Mike Young is tasked with. So for me, it really all falls on the coaching staff when you remove, you know, obviously like a key injury here or there could really put a dark cloud over the season. But assuming that the roster experiences the ups and downs in health that an NCAA basketball roster is expected to over the course, like this is a team that, can make the NCAA tournament if maximized by their coaching staff. It's a big evaluation year for Mike Young. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a middle-of-the-pack team in the ACC, which could be enough to get him in, might not be enough to get him in. Uh, A lot of that obviously depends on how this team plays and how, you know, the depth questions get answered, like you guys were mentioning, but also... uh, kind of depends on what's happening around Virginia Tech, right? Some of these wins that Virginia Tech picks up in the middle of the non-conference schedule against these teams that are also in the middle of the ACC, like, are those teams doing enough to get to March? You know, if so, that win looks a little bit better for Virginia Tech at the end of the day, right? So I think a lot of it depends on how the Hokies play. I think a lot of it depends on how the ACC shapes out, which we won't really have answers to here for 
at least a few weeks, right, to get an idea once there's a larger sample size, teams start playing, you know, a couple of, you know, decent teams on the schedule. A couple of power conference opponents, right? Tech is playing South Carolina on Friday. South Carolina is not expected to be a very good team in the SEC, but is a power conference opponent. We'll learn more from that game than we did out of Coppin State. Uh, But I see this team right in the middle of the pack of the ACC. I think that certainly has a chance to be better than a year ago. Uh, I think that health will obviously play into that significantly. We saw what the Hunter Couture injury did to this team last year. Completely derailed everything, Uh, which just, number one, shows the importance of Hunter Couture. Number two shows, you know, the issues that team had from a depth standpoint. I do think this team has the opportunity to have a lot more depth than it did a year ago, but we'll see how it plans out, how it pans out uh, once the team starts playing better uh, competition. Uh, so that's that's our men's preview. We did want to talk about uh, the women's side, too. Uh, Virginia Tech women opened season with a blowout win over High Point. Liz Kitley was really good. Uh, story of this team, obviously, last year made a Final Four. was really exciting. The entire fan base took that ride with them. Uh, lost to the eventual national champion, LSU Tigers, in a game that went back and forth that Virginia Tech certainly had a chance to win. Uh, Virginia Tech returns Liz Kitley for a fifth year, which is huge. Uh, Georgia Amor returns, obviously. Uh, they get a fifth year of Kayla King, which is significant. Uh, Virginia Tech loses Kayana Trailer. Uh, they lose Taylor Soul. They lose Deja Gregg, uh, three contributors off of last year's team. Uh, but Matilda Eck comes in from Michigan State. Uh, they get Rose Michaud from Minnesota. Uh, those two players obviously played a significant role in last night's game in the starting lineup. My key takeaway from this high point game is that uh, obviously everything runs through Kitley still. Amor is really good. Kayla Kane's going to shoot a bunch of threes. We know all that. But really, Taylor Soul being gone, the things that she did defensively last year, you're going to rely obviously on Rose Michaud to kind of cover those things up, right? And kind of fill in for what Tech lost with Taylor Soul. But I think the offense is going to look a little different. Matilda X, a very good three-point shooter. She put that on display in the high-point game last night. She's kind of replacing Keanu Trailer's role in the starting lineup. Keanu Trailer is more of a slasher to the basket. Matilda X, just really kind of another three-point shooter. Not that she can't do more than that, but she's really a, just a really lethal three-point shooter. Kayla King, that's basically all she does is shoot threes. Most of her career attempts have been from three-point land, and she hits a bunch of them. And then we know what George Amor and Liz Kitley can do. Tech was a preseason top 10 team, the number eight in the country. They're expected to be one of the top teams in the ACC once again. Uh, I I don't want to say, you know, a final four is repeatable because that's really hard to do. <laughs> Liz Kitley mentioned that at ACC media days, like they want to have an appreciation for how difficult that was last year to get to a final four but also they feel like they left some out there and they feel like they have a really competitive team that can get back. Uh, Guys, this is going to be one of the best teams of college basketball this year. I think I have no reason to really believe otherwise, especially given who's returning. I mean, yeah, Mike, you kind of covered all the bases there. Uh, The losses of trailer and Sewell will we'll see how much that matters, right? Those were two WNBA caliber players both drafted right so though they might not have been the 
biggest stars on the team last year. That speaks to how good that team was, <laughs> right? Like your role, maybe they were more than role players in reality, but you know, your side stars are professional level players. Virginia Tech has not had many professional level players in the entire history of the women's basketball program. So yeah, those aren't so easily replaceable. Like you said, Mike, making a final four is really, really hard. Team will obviously still be good. It's hard to judge how those new pieces will impact things and say just how good they can be until we see it a few times. Luckily, uh, I mean, the game will be complete less than 48 hours from now because we record this podcast in the wee hours of the night. But down here where I live, Charlotte, North Carolina, quite the test right off the bat and probably the biggest non-postseason game in Virginia Tech women's basketball history as they take on Caitlin Clark, who can sell out an NBA arena by herself, is what we're find out, uh, you know, in Charlotte right here. So that'll be a uh, a good indicator. If they lose, I, I won't lose faith because, like we said, new pieces in there, they're going to try to figure it out, but Unlike the men's side, like we just talked about, where there's a couple of teams that really should be, could be, should be national contenders, and the rest are just decent programs with low floors, or excuse me, with high floors. Uh, no, the ACC women's basketball remains the gauntlet. So, <laughs> just got to hope to figure it out by then. Yeah, we're going to learn a lot about this team in the non-conference as well. Obviously, with Iowa and LSU looming later on the schedule, um, we're going to get kind of a, an idea as to if this team has what it takes to be a top 10, top 5 program. Um, I have kind of the same issue or same question marks I had going into last year, and it, a lot of it relates to depth. It's just there's not a ton of proven depth on the roster uh, Carly Wenzel may be having to play a huge role as a young player. Um, but obviously this is going to be the Georgia and Elizabeth show. Kitley and Amor are going to run the offense. Kitley, if she can stay out of foul trouble, is one of the best uh, front court players in the game. And if Georgia Amor can continue to be efficient from three and run this offense the way that she can, um, taking her directions from Kenny Brooks. I think that they're going to be just fine on the offensive end. So barring, barring injuries, this team is as good as essentially anyone in the country. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I, I do believe this is going to be easily one of the best teams in the ACC. And uh, if all things go right, this team should be holding the ACC championship at the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a pretty that ACC has a bunch of really good players. Uh, Big expectations, like how are and and I'm actually kind of curious to see how they respond to that. I mean, this is they are that they are no longer kind of the you know the Johnny come latelys, right? That's an old school old school saying. Jesus, Rick, um, dude, I, it's tired. It's been a long day. I'm struggling. Anyway, thought I was the one going gray. Yeah. Oh, dude, I've got gray everywhere. I'm the bad. elder. I'm the elder statesman. You are on this, this podcast, podcast too. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, they, they are no longer the new kids on the block. How about that? Uh, better. 
they're going to have a target on their back. They are, they are now the hunted. How do they handle that? That's going to be a different mindset. They're going to have to tackle week in and week out. So um, regardless, they've got a ton of talent and Kenny has shown that he's one of the better coaches in the country. Yeah. Recruits well, coaches well. He's totally revolutionized the women's basketball program. He's one of the best coaches in the history of the school for, for basketball men's or women's uh, also just a really good dude. I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners haven't had the chance to meet Kenny, but if you do, you won't be disappointed. Put it that way. Yeah. I mean, all of his former players speak really highly of him, and the recruits talking about, you know, how, how he interacts with them on the recruiting trail and stuff like that. Just, yeah, he's a real deal. Uh, yeah. So it'll be really good. They, LSU, th- or I'm sorry, they have uh, Iowa Thursday. They have LSU later on the schedule uh, in the non-con. If Tech plays two really competitive games with those two teams that are figured to be top 10 teams in the country, this team will be for real. They, the Tech, honestly, Tech doesn't even have to win either one of these two games early in the year. As long as they're just competitive and they show that they're there. Like You're a lot different team in November and December yeah. than you are in, in January, February, March. So as long as tech just shows they're competitive in those games, which I anticipate they will, even if they don't win them, that doesn't mean the season's over. They're not going to compete with these same teams in the NCAA tournament, right? It's just a data point. It's an opportunity. Um, we're going to have a good idea of, of what they are. LSU can be got to the dance. Yeah. At, at, yes. Just get to the dance. LSU uh, can be got LSU lost to Colorado. <laughs> In their opener, not only lost, they got run a little bit. Your your piece of trivia for that one, the second leading scorer for the Colorado Buffaloes in that game was Aronette Vonley, sister of former Noah. Indiana standout Noah Vonley, who was then drafted <laughs> by the Charlotte Hornets and was terrible. <laughs> you got that going. For I you. did not Colorado have. Fan. I did not have Noah Vonley slander on my bingo card for this no, podcast. No, big big Hornets fan just entered the chat. Yeah. Another <laughs> victim. Yeah. That's our basketball preview. Yeah. I, I think we nailed it. Intriguing season. Lots of different ways this could go. Really on both sides. I mean, tech the, the tech men's team could at the high end be one of the I mean, they could potentially earn a buy, a double buy in the in the AC tournament. Uh, they could also miss the NCAA tournament, get knocked out in the first round of the ACCs. Women, I'm not the final four is clearly on the table, right? <laughs> it's yeah. certainly a possibility, yeah. Considering what we saw last year on the table, uh, but we could see them take a step back, right? Like we know how hard it is to repeat elite level performances year in and year out it's exceptionally difficult so um, lots of different ways this could go they're two years removed from losing to florida gulf coast in a 12-5 game right and then they go to the final four the next year we this don't talk about that sport. Mike. it's we a fickle sport is all i'm saying it's a fickle <laughs> sport i demand a pick from you guys on the men's side you're so confident that they'll beat duke at home <laughs> Do they beat Boston College? History doesn't speak as well to that one. In football? No. Do you no, want no. to have that conversation? In, 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 in men's basketball I'm on joking. January 23rd. I'm joking. No, if you want to hear if they beat Boston College in football, well, gosh, you got to tune in like 24 hours from now. That's right. We don't want to 
We don't want to, well, I, we don't want to use all the bullets in the chamber, so to speak. All I'll say is, would you rather have Castellanos or Kyron Drones is a debate. Oh, my God. That's coming. I uh, I do not have the mental capacity for this right now. Is his now. name even Castellanos? <laughs> it is. Do we... You're telling me after 35 minutes, <laughs> after all this, you're picking them to go to a bowl game and Ricky isn't? It's like, oh no, I'm picking them to go seven and five. <laughs> I I'm picking them to have a better record than you are, Mike. It's like they'll run the table. I'm just frustrated. We lost. Real bad. I'm just, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just real pissed. It's okay. He's just, he's just venting. Yeah, he's just venting. I, in reality, I was just pissed. I think we're going three and zero down the stretch. Um, we'll be back with that preview. In, yeah, uh, in yeah, 24, is, 24 hours. We'll be back. That is coming. Be on the lookout for that. But maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll actually follow through this year and do like an extensive look into the wrestling program since they're like legitimate top five wrestling program right now. Wagon watch. <laughs> wagon warning. Wagon, Mike. <laughs> wagon wagon warning even. Ooh, wagon wagon. Yeah, wagon warning. <laughs> imminent imminent wagon. <laughs> imminent wagoning. <laughs> to all the listeners, take, as, a, take as, we, as we always say, if for some reason you have made it this far. <laughs> Why do we save us all the humor review? for the end? Like just I, I, tell people you like us. Tell your friends. Yes. We need to we need to start front loading the humor so everyone hears it. Or you just I, listen I think to the humor the has a lot to do with fatigue. <laughs> yeah it does yeah yeah it that's does. true it I is agree. it is eleven fifty three on a tuesday night and the hokey hangover delirium hour i did not that's bowl right. well this evening and i have had a rough evening so i am i'm mentally spent mentally spent which is why we are not discussing boston college tonight <laughs> you were serious when you said i don't have the mental energy or whatever line you used a minute i ain't got it fair enough uh rate review and subscribe i got to sneak that in tonight ricky how about that Please, Facts. please, 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 please leave us a rating and review. It is really, really important that you do that. Uh, I'm not saying that because we want more reviews and more ratings, but not only that, we it's huge for other opportunities, right? Sponsorship stuff that we want to do. Uh, yeah, shows One that thing people I are just listening. like where we rank in the yeah, you know, it's usually results. gigantically important. So One please do that. One thing I can for us. confirm is that the Hokey Hangover is not shadow banned. Not shadow banned, correct? We are no, not shadow banned. anyone who doesn't listen to us, it's purely out of frustration. <laughs> yes, that's correct. You're mad because we're too optimistic. Usually, that's it's it. the other way around. Yeah, we're we're too optimistic. I've heard, I've gotten that review before. Wow. It's it, it, it is Ricky, to Ricky, to, Ricky, you you've gotten the uh, we've gotten the feedback from Ricky that he is a Fuente stan and that he was too positive about the Fuente era, which was an interesting comment we've received before. Which... The wide range of criticism that you get is, I only take it as a compliment. It's hilarious. Yeah. Everyone, everyone hates us. It's hilarious because Andrew will text us on a random Friday night from Champs, and he's talking to someone at the Dead Champs. And they're like, oh, by the way, I really enjoy listening to, and it'll be either me or Mike. <laughs> <laughs> we enjoy the podcast. Yeah. 
Yeah. Ricky like... made a really good point. <laughs> now there's a, the, the Ricky LeBlu fan club, you know, it's uh it reminds me of Nixon's silent majority, right? Because no one's going out <laughs> there for better or worse, no one's out there on the internet saying like I fuck with Ricky LeBlu, <laughs> but I know you guys are out there. I do. Because people there. tell me privately and people listen to this shit. So. <laughs> my, one of my best friends on the planet, Johnny McKelvey, he uh, got married in early October. He is a avid listener of this podcast. He'll appreciate me shouting him out. Keeps telling me. He goes, man, I've been telling you this all year. Ricky's been on fire on the podcast. He told me that again. I talked to him on the phone this evening. He told me that again. He goes, really enjoyed the pod the other night. He said, I just want to say, in general, Ricky's been on fire this year. And he said, not as it pertained to this specific like, last podcast in particular, but he just yeah, said in Mike general. thought I was a nut. Well, no, he, he, <laughs> he mentioned the content in general. Uh, the last podcast was more about the humor than the content. We've had better content podcasts, <laughs> which I wholeheartedly agree with. We have gone harder on content. I think tonight was a Some great would content say podcast. It was impressive that we put out a podcast at all. I agree for that. I I agree. So shout out John. Uh shout out Ricky and shout out Andrew. We will be back tomorrow to recap the Boston College or recap to preview the Boston College game. Maybe we'll recap it too. Who's to say? Uh, to preview the Boston figure College out where game. The script is. I know. Gotta figure out yeah. Once I fumble through my notes and find out what the final score is, I'll let you guys know. Uh <laughs> We will preview a big-time game this weekend. Hokies traveling to Chestnut Hill as a favorite. They're now yes, favorite. Yes, the line is moved. <laughs> line is moved. <laughs> the entire premise of my argument moved quite a bit. Gone. gone. <laughs> it is now gone. Uh, we will be back uh, to preview that game. Uh, thanks for listening, and as always, go Hokies. <laughs> <laughs>